So as you just heard, we spent the whole week in VBS focusing every day on God's goodness, that our God is good even when life is unfair, even when life is scary, even when life changes, when we're sad, even when it's good, God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. Well, here in worship this summer, we've been spending our time looking at the book of Colossians. It's a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Colossae, and it's a letter that tells us how it is that we can say God is good even when life doesn't seem to be good. And the reason that we can say God is good, Colossians says, is Jesus. The whole letter centers around the claim that all things were made and all things were saved through Jesus and for Jesus. That God is good in Jesus. And then it helps us to see what it means to trust that and to live it. So the next section of Colossians we're going to come to today is actually the very center of the letter. Not in terms of counting the words and finding the middle, but the theological heart of the passage. The hinge that ties its first half to its second half. That takes all the stuff Paul's been telling us about how amazing Jesus is and now tells us what to do with it. So as we turn to hear these words this morning, whether that's in a physical Bible you brought or in the back of the pew, whether it's an app on your phone or whether you just listen really well, I want you to take a moment to just get ready as we come to listen to words from the book that we love. So hear the word of the Lord. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deceit according to human traditions or according to the elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. You were buried with him in baptism. And you were raised with him Also, through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave all your sins, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, setting it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. That was Colossians 2, 6 through 15, and you might want to keep your finger there as we'll look back at it a couple times this morning. As I said, this is the hinge. It's what sums up everything Paul has already said and tells us everything Paul's going to say. So if you were going to come to one service all summer, you picked the right one. Congratulations. I hope you come back as... Colossians has some great things to say we'll explore throughout the rest of the summer, but good choice. 
Paul sums up everything in the letter with this line. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him. As you have received him, continue to live in him. As you've received him in the past, continue to live in him in the future. As you've received him in all that we've said so far in chapters 1 and 2, so continue to live in him in everything I'm going to tell you in the chapters to come. As you received him, continue to live in him. So for this morning, I want to ask two questions with you. How have we received him? And what does it mean to continue to live in him? So first, how have we received Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, the way most Christians today talk about receiving Jesus is this way. It's asking Jesus into your heart to save us. It's the moment when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and at that moment, uh, the whiteboard of all the things we've done wrong in our lives is washed away. Our ticket to heaven is punched, and from that moment on, God is there to make sure we have easy and comfortable lives showing up again whenever we're in trouble. But Paul's description of what it means to receive Christ Jesus the Lord is so much deeper and so much wider than just that. The way we talk about receiving Jesus is like taking a drink from a glass of water and taking it in to be a part of who we are. The way Paul talks about it is like diving into the ocean, going down in the waters of baptism to die and rise again to new life, overcome by the grace of Jesus Christ entirely. As we talk about this deeper picture of what it means to receive Christ Jesus the Lord, Paul talks about it in two ways. He talks about receiving who Jesus is and also receiving what Jesus has done. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He sums up who Jesus is as clearly as you can do it in verse 9. If you have your Bibles, look, at me, look with me. Verse 9, For in him, that's Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And if we go a little into 10, and you have come to fullness in him. In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is usually the kind of stuff we talk about at Christmas, right? The incarnation, God comes and is born as Jesus. But Paul comes back to it over and over again because it's important not just one month out of the year, but all year long. That who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus, this man who grew up in Nazareth, the northern part of Israel in the first century, whom as the Gospels describe him is clear, is a human male, human in all the senses of what it is to be human. And yet, Paul proclaims in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Which means in Jesus, God takes on a body. God now has a body. Wrap your minds around that for a few minutes. God's deity contains flesh and blood. A body like ours became part of God, which is how Paul can then say, and you have come to fullness in him too. Because as Jesus takes on a body, a new humanity begins and is born in him. 
Jesus is sometimes called the second Adam, the new Adam, because as humanity was born in Adam, so a new one is born in Christ. In him, our humanity is taken up to God. And we see in Jesus now that just as there's no gap between God and Jesus, there's now no gap between us and God as well. Jesus has taken up humanity, perfected it in himself, and gives it back to us, made whole and complete and full joined to God. Is that how you normally think about salvation? About what it is to receive Christ? We've been united to God in Christ, made whole and complete already in him who is the head over all things. We'll talk about that more in a little bit and throughout the weeks to come, but just marinate in it for a moment. Just sit in awe and wonder for a minute, that this is what you've received in Christ. We've received who Jesus is, all the fullness of God. We've received who Jesus is, and we also receive all that Jesus has done for us. Paul tells us that in verses 11 through 15. Again, if you've got your Bibles, follow with me. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with him when he forgave all your sins erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. What has Christ done? Well, if who Jesus is, we talk about at Christmas, what Jesus has done is what we typically talk about at Good Friday and Easter. Jesus died and rose again. And yet the cross and resurrection aren't just things Jesus did. They're things we receive in him. And Paul says we receive them as a spiritual circumcision through baptism. So let's talk about that for a minute, a spiritual circumcision. Well, for Jews, circumcision was a sacrament, a sign undertaken by every male and male only at eight days as a sign of their entrance into God's covenant promises. They're marked as belonging to God, that God is their God as well. It's also, at a deeper level, a symbolic removal of part of our own fleshly, bodily fertility in order that Israel may show it trusts in God, as Abraham had to, for descendants. For descendants, as was promised to Abraham, to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Circumcision has been replaced for us by baptism. It's the new circumcision, the spiritual circumcision. Here, too, as we carry our children, as we ourselves come to the waters of baptism, here we are marked as belonging to God. Here, we enter into God's covenant promises. But something deeper is going on here, too, Paul says. 
here as we carry our male and female children now into the waters of Christ, we also die and rise again. Now, it's hard to see with this little bit of water here in a tiny little font, but if you've ever seen a full immersion baptism, you've seen this shown, that as we go down into the waters, we drown, we die, we are buried with Christ And as we are raised up out of them, we are brought to Christ's new life and raised to that abundant and everlasting life. See, the diagnosis is far worse than we'd imagined. We often think that we're mostly good, and with a few tweaks to a couple flaws, we'll be all set. So we're always looking for new techniques or life hacks to make sure we're fine. If we found maybe the right practice of religion, how to pray right or meditate, the right way of thinking about the world and our place in it, the right set of bodily disciplines or the right amount of money to give or times to serve somewhere, then we'll be set. What we want is spiritual plastic surgery. But what's wrong in us doesn't just need a makeover. The only possible way to describe the surgery Jesus had to perform in us is to say that we died. It was a circumcision not just of our whole body, of the flesh, but as the Old Testament scriptures promise a number of times, a circumcision of the heart, of the mind, of the soul. We were buried with Christ in baptism. We died And yet as Jesus' death encounters our death, something entirely unforeseen happens. Resurrection. Encountering Jesus' death, our sin is put to death and erased. Its its power over us is destroyed and we're raised to this new life, made alive again. In baptism, we share not just Christ's death, but also his resurrection, which goes so much deeper than just forgiving our sins. We're given new life. And as Paul said, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities, making a public example of them, triumphing over them in the cross. It's a cosmic thing. All the powers in the world, in the universe, have been put under Christ's feet. And there is nothing now that can exert control over us or over any of creation. Sometimes we view good and evil as kind of equal and opposite forces in the world, like yin and yang, or, or like the force, the balance between good and evil, the light and the dark. As one gets stronger, the other one gets stronger too. But that's not the picture Paul gives. He says Christ has triumphed over them already in the cross. What we've received in Jesus is death and resurrection, freedom from every power and ruler and authority, from everything that's held us captive. What we've received is the understanding, the hope that darkness has been defeated and that we have nothing now to fear, even as it rears its ugly head in retreat. What have we received in Jesus? We've received who Jesus is and what he has done. We've received the whole fullness of deity, a new humanity made whole and full and complete in God. And we've received his death and resurrection through our baptism that we might not only be forgiven, but set free to live new resurrection lives in the power of God. 
And all this has been completed. The verbs are all in the past tense. It's done. We've been made whole. It's accomplished. It's finished. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live lives in him. Continue now to live lives in him. So if our first question is, what do we receive in Christ? The second is, what does it mean to continue to live our lives in him? Well, that's the focus of the rest of the letter. So keep reading. So come back in August. We're gone the next two weeks. We'll pick it up again August 4th. Come back. See what it looks like to continue to live in him. But that suspense is too much, right? So we got to do something. So look with me at what Paul says in verse 8, because we get a taste of it already here in this passage. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deceit, through human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. Here we begin to get a, a peek behind the letter to what was going on in Colossae that, that led Paul to write this letter. It sounds like some people, uh, a new teaching was coming in, and they were saying, yes, Jesus is awesome, and of course, Jesus is important, but you also really need blank. Maybe that was, you need to continue to worship those old gods so they don't get mad and wreak havoc in our lives. Or maybe Jesus is great, but you also need to continue to celebrate the festivals so that the harvest keeps coming in. Or maybe it was a Jewish influence that says, yes, Jesus is important, but you need to be physically circumcised. You need to follow the law. Jesus is great, but Torah is too. Scholars actually continue to disagree about what Paul was speaking against. He seems intentionally vague and broad as he talks in this passage and later ones about this teaching that's come to the church. And I think that's actually for the best because it opens the door even wider for us to step in and receive this letter as its recipients. Because at the core, what Paul is saying is you've received everything in Jesus. So don't now go turn to find something else. You've received everything in him. Why keep looking? Why add anything else? If Jesus is all that we've said he is so far, all that we've talked about these last few weeks, everything you came to believe when you became a Christian, then you don't need to go anywhere else. You don't need to look for anything more. You don't need Jesus plus anything and yet we still try to fill in that blank ourselves. Jesus is great, but maybe that blank is, is religious performance. It's so easy to think that if we just check the right boxes, read our Bible enough, pray often enough in the right way, come to worship often enough, volunteer enough, then God will like us and save us. If we just do the right religious stuff and we do it often enough, then we'll be good. But Jesus has already done this for us. We don't need anything more. All that stuff is just a response in gratitude. It's just us having no other idea of how to live and follow Jesus, but to continue to do these things and come to him. 
but they don't earn us anything. We don't need Jesus plus anything. How else do you fill in that blank? There are lots of places where we say, Jesus is great, but what would really make my life complete is... What would really make our lives complete is if the Giants won the Super Bowl on the backs of Daniel Jones, right? Showing everybody to be dumb who thought it was a bad pick. Maybe our lives would be complete if the Jets won on the back of Le'Veon Bell. Who knows? Or maybe more seriously, Jesus is great and all, but my life would be complete if so-and-so would go out with me. Or if I could just find my perfect soulmate, the one who completes me, then my life would be whole and I'd live happily ever after. Or Jesus is great and all, but my life would finally be complete if I get the next promotion. If I'm just one step up higher in the totem pole, I'd be safe. I'd be set. Or Jesus is great and all, but my life would be complete if I could finally make my parents happy. If they'd finally be proud of me. Or if I finally had my dream house in the right town. Or if I had two and a half kids and a dog. Or if I completed everything on my bucket list. Or if I finally took that next great vacation. Jesus is great and all, but my life would be complete if I finally did. How do you fill in the blank? We believe all these things can finally complete us. And when they disappoint us, we tend to just double down and try harder at them. But not only can none of them actually complete us, But for those of us who follow Christ, we've already been made complete. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You have received his fullness. You've received his death and resurrection. And if you find your life in him, you don't need anything else. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. In Jesus, you have made us whole and complete. In his death and resurrection, we too have died and risen again to new life, putting aside all the cares and concerns of our old life to live in you. And so, Lord, as we've received you, help us to root ourselves in you. As Psalm 1 says, to be like trees planted by streams of living water who yield their fruit in its season, whose leaves never wither, and whatever they do, they prosper. Lord, may we root ourselves in Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the only one we need in all the world the one who is all of our fullness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.